Lord, I just thank you so much for this morning, and it's so beautiful, and I just thank you for all the ways that you provide for us, God, and I just pray that you would speak to us through your word, Lord, that we would be transformed by the things that you have to share with us this morning, God. I just pray that you would work powerfully and that we wouldn't leave the same, God, that we would be changed. Our hearts would want to serve you more, God. We would want to love you more because of all that you've done in us. I just pray, Lord, that you would bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so since chapter 8, there's been this amazing progression that started with Ezra reading the law, right? So everybody gets together, Ezra reads the law, and, and the Jews respond in, in sadness, right? They, they start to weep, and, and then they confess their sin because they realize, oh, we, we, haven't, been, we haven't been living the law out. Um, and, and then after they realized they hadn't been living the law out, they confessed their sin, and then they committed themselves to following God. They, they said, hey, we, we're going to do all the things that God requires of us. And so they had to make a decision to not serve themselves anymore, but to serve the Lord. And today we're going to see the result of that transformation, the result of that decision that they made to serve God. And we're going to see how they continue to serve God in their identity, their priority, and their security. And so we're going to go after a huge portion of Scripture this morning. We're going to go after chapters 11 and 12. <laughs> but we're not going to read through all of it. Uh, so what I've prepared for us is a multimedia presentation. <laughs> and so it's a... And that means it's a PowerPoint slideshow <laughs> with little cartoons. Um, I, I'd still please encourage you to read through chapters 11 and 12 because I'm just highlighting, you know, uh, what happened in those chapters. Uh, but uh, w I really felt like we needed to look at those two chapters to kind of get a big picture here of what was going on. And so it starts off with the leaders in chapter 11. This used to be white, but now the color changed. So, uh, but anyways, so this is Jerusalem. And uh, the leaders, they, have, they look like coaches, right? So the leaders here, they lived in Jerusalem here, right? Now, it says that they lived there, but it, you get the impression that there aren't really many people there. <laughs> and so part of the Jews' commitment to following the Lord is that some of the people needed to move into the city. And so they decided to cast lots to determine who God wanted to move into the city. And, uh, and so this person is going into the city. <laughs> but, um, it, and actually, you know, I, that's a woman, but I think it said men in the passage, but I don't know. I didn't really pay attention to that. So, but, um, so, um, so, so one out of ten went into the city. So that's why there's that 10% there. Uh, and then there were some that volunteered. And the people that volunteered, the rest of the people were really excited for them. And so they blessed them as they went into the city and, and uh, fulfilled you know, their commitment to the Lord in restoration of the city. And then, then we come to this giant list of people. 
and there, there's these sons of Judah, sons of Perez, the sons of Benjamin, these priests, these Levites, these gatekeepers. And these are just examples of what's in that section of Scripture. But the point is here is just there are a ton of people living in Jerusalem now. All these people were in Jerusalem. And it, it really shows God's fulfillment of even that uh, promise that Nehemiah had quoted in chapter 9, uh, sorry, verse 1. Uh, chapter 1 verse 9 and uh, just about how God would pull his people together and make his name to dwell there and so I, I really this list is super important for us to know about just because this is proof of what God was doing and how he was fulfilling his promise to the Jews and then let's take a look at outside Jerusalem so there are people that lived outside Jerusalem as well. Some of them were Levites. Some of them were singers. Uh, I thought it was interesting that the scripture pointed out that singers lived outside. I don't know. <laughs> it's just kind of funny. But anyways, so the singers, lived, a lot of them anyways, lived outside in Jerusalem. <laughs> and then we get to chapter 12. And it talks about the priests and Levites. And how, the, like... Basically, all these priests and Levites that are now in and around Jerusalem. And what that means is there, there can now be a temple service. There's the people that actually are there, that are required to be there to perform the various sacrifices and do the various things. And then we get to this, this point where they dedicate the wall. And they set it apart for the Lord. They set apart the city of Jerusalem as holy, that this is going to be a city that glorifies God. And so I wanted to just go ahead and read that part of the passage. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought uh, the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, the symbol, with cymbals, harps, and lyres, and the songs of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nedophathites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Jeba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. And so the, the Levites come together, they purify the wall, they purify the people, they get everything ready for this amazing celebration and to dedicate the city. And, uh, and so they took their cymbals, they took their harps and lyres. Now, I'm no expert on ancient musical instruments, so I just believe this to be a lyre. I, I just found that picture, so you may want to verify that. <laughs> But, um, so this one group of people with Ezra, they go up through the dung gate here and then come up and then they go up into the, the temple. And then this other group with Nehemiah, they came around, around the broad wall, the Tower of a Hundred, and they come back down to the temple. And, uh, and so and as they were doing this, they were singing and they were rejoicing as they were walking around. And they pretty, I mean, they almost walked the entire perimeter of the wall, it seems. And, and they rejoiced. And I, I wanted to read this also. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great, with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The joy of Jerusalem was heard 
far away. And so everybody was rejoicing. <laughs> the people were even so happy that there were priests and Levites ministering in the temple that it, it just caused them to rejoice. They, they wanted to bring in the portions, the, the things into the temple for the priests and the Levites so everybody could be doing their job and fulfilling their role. So that's the summary of uh, chapters 11 and 12. And really, the wall was an amazing feat that God completed through Nehemiah and the Jews. And we've seen God rebuild the infrastructure of His city. We've seen God reconcile His people to each other. And now we're going to see how this city is going to be restored for, for a time. And as a result of this transformation, the Jews begin following through with their commitment that they made in chapter 10 that Britt taught on last week. And they rejoiced in the Lord. So let's first take a look at that transformation. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and read Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring, out, uh, to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city. Well, nine out of ten remained in the other towns, and the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. And so the wall was completed, but God's work wasn't over. It didn't end with just rebuilding the wall. A, a question that I had in my mind is, you know, is it possible to have a city without people in it? <laughs> and it didn't really seem like it to me, so I looked up the definition of what a city was in, on the dictionary. And it, and it said, it's a place where people live that is larger or more important than a town in an area where many people live and work. And so people were required to make this a city. It wasn't a holy city unless there were people in it. Otherwise, it would be like a holy ghost town, right? <laughs> and so God was bringing his people in. God was, uh, again, uh, making good on his promise to bring together his people and restore his people and bring them to the place that he had chosen. And also remember last week what Britt uh, shared with us from Nehemiah 10 is that they had committed themselves to serving the Lord. And it says in 10:28 through 30, The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves for the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and His rules and His statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And so they had committed themselves to the Lord. They, they were not going to serve other gods. They were only going to go after the one true God. And in, the pa in this passage that we're looking at this morning, their commitment to the Lord was proof of their faith. I, I, sorry, their service to the Lord was proof of their faith. This, these actions of following through with their commitment to the Lord was proof of their faith. Sorry, I didn't say that very clearly. <laughs> but, um, and, and this commitment required some of them to move into the city. And some of them would remain outside the city, but all, everybody would be involved. Everybody would be part of this dedication and part of the service it, to the Lord. 
So, in their commitment, it affected where they lived, and it affected their role in what they would do in the city. And each person's transformation and commitment to the Lord resulted in service to God for this specific purpose. And so some, some people were going to sing, some people were Levites, some people were priests, and each person was fulfilling their role because they had committed themselves to what God uh, had wanted of them. And so for those of us that have committed to following Jesus, I feel like the question for us is, do our lives demonstrate one of service to God? And as I was studying this passage, it reminded me so much of, of salvation and baptism. Just, just the same exact progression that we've seen since chapter 8, where you know, we hear the Word of God, and then we respond to that Word. We, we confess or sin, we confess that God is Lord and He is above all, and there's nothing that we can do apart from Him. And then, and then our first step of obedience is that baptism, where we're declaring our commitment to everybody, you know, where we die with Christ, we go under the water, and we raise with Christ. And it's a representation of an inward reality that we... We're, we have died and risen in Christ. And so, like, just that, that's that, that uh, initial commitment. That, and then the question after that is, now what? What do we do? Like, we've done all these things. We're super excited. Well, now it's time to live the life that God wanted. And similarly, it was time for the Jews to start living out the service of the temple, start bringing in their portions, their contributions, the thing that God required of them. And there's this song that I really, really like by uh, Matt Redman, and it's called Now to Live the Life. And it's a, a prayer for, about being committed to God. And I, uh, I wanted to go ahead and read it, and I removed some of the words here just so that it's uh, more readable because some of the things repeat. But uh, it says this, Many are the words we speak, many are the songs we sing, many kinds of offerings, but now to live the life. Help us live the life. All we want to do is bring you something real, bring you something true. We hope that precious are the words we speak. We pray that precious are the songs we sing. Precious all these offerings. But now to live the life. Help us live the life. All we want to do is bring you something real, bring you something true. Now to go the extra mile, now to turn the other cheek, and to serve you with the life. Let us share your fellowship, even of your sufferings. Never let the passion die. Now to live life. And so, it's like, are, are we engaging in God's work? I mean, is this, is this your prayer? Is this what you want? Is this your heartbeat? And as Britt shared last week, it's who we serve reveals where our security is, where identity is, and where our priorities are. And, and what we serve reveal, reveals where our heart is. It says in Matthew 6, 19-21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As followers of Jesus, we no longer serve ourselves. We serve Jesus. And last Sunday, after Britt taught during uh, the Lord's Supper, someone asked me um, if I ever didn't feel like serving God. <laughs> I was like, yeah, <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> 
There, there's so many times where I, I don't feel like serving God. I have to constantly be checking my heart and my own desires and working through my selfish desires. I have to ask God to transform my desires to be His desires, to, to align with what He wants. I have to ask God to transform my will to be His will. And I, I can't do this on my own, right? None of us can. We need Jesus. This is only through the power of Christ that we can live the life that God wants us to live. And we're even going to see uh, next week in chapter 13 that Nehemiah was going to have to correct the Jews. And so this is a constant thing. It wasn't like a one-time, okay, we're, we're committed to the Lord, and then boom, the rest of the life, their lives look like this service of dedication. It, it's a constant evaluation of our hearts, a constant going back to the Word of God, being reminded and remembering and reminding each other. And so I have these two questions that I, I want us to think about and pray through this morning. Um, as, as we play uh, the, that song that I just read. And the first question is, uh, what are areas in your life that show that you are choosing to follow another God or store up treasures on this earth? And so that, I mean, this could look like so many different things for each of us, you know. I mean, it, it could be money, it could be certain relationships, it could be work, it could be all sorts of things. And so I, I would like for us to really uh, ask ourselves specific questions like that are, like, for, for yourself, like, what are things that you have in your life that you might make a priority over the Lord? And then the second question is, what is your role in the body of Christ? I feel like these questions go well together because the first question reveals uh, who, who or what we're serving. And really, that will affect our ability to fulfill our role. Because if we're serving this other thing, then instead of God, then we're not doing our role. We're not, we're not participating in the way that God had designed for us to participate. And I, I want to encourage us too, even in our discipleship uh, groups and with our partners, to really pray through these things and even talk through these things together. And so I'm going to go ahead and play the song, and then we'll spend five minutes just praying. I don't know, don't you want this? Don't you want to live exactly the way God wants you to live? I, I want this so bad. I want to live out Scripture. I want to live out the things that Jesus wants us to live out. I want to love. I want to care for others. I want to be kind. I really do. And because I know that God is better. I know that He's greater. He is the best. He is the greatest thing in the entire universe. There's nothing that compares to Him. And I, I want God's love to constantly be permeating through my life, guiding my decisions, the way I talk with people, the way I serve others. And, and that I would fulfill my purpose in the body, that I would do the things that God wants me to do with the strength that He has provided for me. And I want to do this until the day that I die. And there's a psalm, Psalm 92, 12 through 15. It says this, The righteous flourish like, like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. 
They are even full of sap and green to declare the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in Him. I want this passage to define me when I'm old, if I ever get old, if I make it that far. But I want this thing, I want that to define who I am. That this, there's this old guy who even in old age, he's still producing fruit. And so I just want to encourage us, let's live the things that God has asked us to do. Let's fulfill our design and our purpose as a church here in this neighborhood, in Lanark Park. And rejoice in what God has done and the transformation He's done in our lives and in the lives around us. And so, we're going to go back to Nehemiah now, <laughs> chapter 12. And we're going to see how the restoration of Jerusalem caused the Jews to rejoice. And so, in the start of chapter 12, we see another huge list of people, right? We see a bunch of priests, a bunch of Levites. And, and God is going to, to bring them all together and start the services in the temple. And... I don't know if you guys remember what Sambalat said in chapter 4. He, he, in 4 verse 2, he said, In the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? And for almost every one of those questions, it was yes, except for will they finish in a day? They're, they're sacrificing now. The, the temple is working again. There's people living in the city. Everything that they were mocking them about was actually happening. God actually restored. The city was functional. And as, as we talked about before, you know, the, the start of this, uh, let me go back here, the start of this worship service with everybody, walk, Ezra and this group and Nehemiah and this group walking around the wall, giving praise and thanks to the Lord for what He's doing and setting apart the city. And the work was verified because when they were walking on this wall, it didn't fall over. Right? <laughs> they were singing. They were excited. It says even, you know, everybody, women, children, everybody was singing and rejoicing in what the Lord has done. And it didn't fall over. And I don't know if you guys remember what Tobias said. He, remember, he said, oh, if a fox walks on that wall, the whole thing's going to fall apart, right? Well, they just walked around like the whole thing and it didn't fall apart. God totally rebuilt the city with these stones that were burnt and they are strong. <laughs> so the Jews trusted God through this entire process. And God worked through them. And is restoring them and bringing them together. And restoring the city. And I, I just want to read verse 43 again. It says, And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. It was heard. It was known. People knew about their joy because of what God was doing because of the restoration that was happening in the city. And now that God had restored the city, the Jews could thrive. They could live out the law. They could live out their roles and their purposes that God had for them. And so this, this, is, this reminded me of a time in my life where God had restored something to me and it brought full joy to my life. And that thing's my arm. 
Uh, I used to be crippled in this arm. Um, and some of you have heard the story, some of you haven't. My brother knows this story because it involved him. <laughs> but I wasn't born crippled. But what happened was uh, my brother and I were wrestling one day. And my mom told us to stop, so we stopped. But then my dad came home from work, and then my mom went to, to the grocery store or something like that. I forget. But, um, and then so we started wrestling it <laughs> because my mom was gone now. <laughs> And, uh, and so I was chasing after my brother. I don't... Did you even want to be wrestling? No, I don't think... Yeah. Anyway, so... Uh, so I, we were wrestling. I tripped and fell. And I, uh, I uh, kind of snapped my arm in half. I, like, overextended. And there were just... Uh, skin and whatever else is inside there, Britt probably knows, uh, just skin and stuff, holding it together. And, and my nerves were uh, crushed, basically. And they wouldn't work anymore. And so I, I, was, stuck, I was stuck like this, actually. And, um, and I had no functionality of this arm. And I'm right-handed. And so, uh, my mom was teaching me to write with my left hand when I was younger. And I remember just crying a lot and it being really, really hard. And, uh, and then, I, my, mom, my parents wanted to put me into this private school. And so, there was this test that I had to take to, I don't know, I guess, prove that I could go to the school or something. Um, so... My mom told him that uh, I, I had just broken my arm, I didn't have functionality, but she was teaching me to use my left hand. And so uh, I did the test and everything, and then my grandma called about like around the afternoon time-ish, and uh, she asked my mom if I had been healed. And my mom said, no, <laughs> he's not healed. And my grandma was surprised. Because she said, well, you know what, we've been praying, we prayed for you last, we prayed for Josh last night, and uh, we prayed that he would be healed, and he should be healed today. <laughs> and so, was, my mom's like, no, he, he's not healed. And uh, that, that night, uh, they had gotten the results back from the school, and my parents were reviewing those results, and looking at how well I did on the tests. And uh, they noticed it said on there, great right hand grip. And they're like, what? Great right hand grip? I was able to use my, I was able to hold something with my right hand. They were both surprised. And then they asked me to come into the room. And they, there's these series of tests that the doctor would do. And one of them was stretch out your arm. So I stretched out my arm. The other one was, you know, pick up a penny off, off the floor. So I picked up the penny off the floor. And we were amazed. And I'm convinced that God didn't let anybody notice what had happened, that I was healed in the morning because He wanted the glory. No one noticed until after my grandma had called and told us that they had been praying and that God was going to heal me. <laughs> no, we just, I don't, I don't even remember, actually. I just, like, it, it just, I was a kid and I just kind of... Uh, continued on with my day, you know? <laughs> it's 
like, sweet, I got this thing back. I can uh, go back to playing and wrestling. <laughs> and so, despite my disobedience, God had restored me. He had restored my arm. And like, it makes me think about, like, when I think about this arm, I think, man, like, how can I glorify God with this arm? And I think, well, like, I have my whole body, you know, like, how, how can I glorify God with my body? But then it's even so much more than that. It's so much, God can do so much more than heal an arm. He can save each of us, right? And so it's just like now we have these saved lives, lives that are in Christ, and, and now we can live for God. We've been given the strength to live for God. And so I have two questions that I'd like for us to think through. The first one is, what has God restored in your life? And then, what have you seen God restore at Living Stones? And let's rejoice in these things. Let's praise God for the ways that He's restored us and what He's done here. Because it's truly amazing stuff. And so, the, the, wall, the wall was an amazing feat. God completed through the Jews and Nehemiah. We have seen God rebuild the infrastructure of His city. We have seen God reconcile His people to each other. And now we've seen the city re- be restored for a time. And as a result of their transformation, they begin following through with their commitment to the Lord and they rejoice in what God has done. I, just, I want to end with a verse. Uh, this is a passage that a 70-year-old lady uh, that was a part of our house church would remind me of like every single time she was there. She quoted two verses to me every time, and this was one of them. And I, I feel like it's so applicable. And she would always tell me, Josh, you know, if you get, this is it. You just got to get these two things. <laughs> okay. And uh, so this is Romans 12, 1 through 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your word, and I just pray that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that we would focus on you, we would focus on the things that you want us to focus on, Lord. That we would be constantly evaluating our hearts and searching our hearts to determine who we're serving. And whether or not we're serving you or something else, God. Lord, I just pray that we would be those trees that flourish and grow and produce fruit into our old age, God. That we would not lose sight of the truth. We would not lose sight of the purpose and the reason why we are your children and why we're even here in Lanark Park. I just thank you so much for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen.